everyone. Welcome back to Well Then, a podcast where we talk about all things wellness and putting your health first. I'm your host, Megan Scherer. Last season, we began to talk a little bit about, about how relationships impact our overall health and well-being and how the quality of your relationships can really impact the quality of your life. And that's a topic that I'm really excited to dive into more in this season and especially in this episode today with our guest, Elizabeth Earnshaw. Liz is a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified Gottman therapist. She owns a Better Life Therapy in Philadelphia, where she and her colleagues have supported hundreds of couples. Liz also writes and speaks on relationships. She shares many of her insights on her Instagram account, Liz Listens, and within her membership program, Love Lessons 365. I personally follow, have followed Liz for a while on Instagram and love all of the content she shares. It's, it's really insightful and really powerful, actionable items that you can think about and apply in your own life on a day-to-day basis. And I'm really excited to dive into this episode with her where we talk about you know, how we can transform the quality of our relationships, how we can look at the ways that we show up in relationships, and also how we can navigate relationships in close quarters like we are during our quarantine time right now. So let's dive in with Liz. Hi, Liz. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I know that um, this is kind of a crazy time. And so I appreciate more than ever having having conversations like this and kind of finding ways to ground and normalize in such a weird time (laughs) in life right now. Yes, we definitely all need grounding right now, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, you know, kind of like you and I just talked about, we're a, a couple weeks into this thing and people are just now starting to find their their new sense of normal. So um, we just have to take it all day by day. Totally. And I think that like that sense of normal is going to continue to evolve each week. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, that's something that we can definitely dive into in this conversation as well, like how relationships may or may not be impacted by this um, very strange time and being in quarantine. But um, first, I'm just really curious, like, how did you end up in this line of work and what what inspired you to become a therapist and and work with people on their uh, relationships? So when I was little, I always knew that I wanted to work with other people. Um, And of course, I had kind of the generic dream of being a teacher and also being a princess at some point, but that didn't happen yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I wanted to be a teacher and I've always loved, you know, working with people and being very social and getting to know people. And then I went to school to be a teacher and I was a horrible teacher And I really appreciate what teachers do because it is the hardest job. And I thought, you know, I would, I would be better at doing something that was one-on-one with people, um, where I had more time to sit with them and to kind of explore what was going on for them. And so I was really lost with what I wanted to do. I was driving down a highway and I saw a billboard and it was for a couples and family therapy program. And I was like, that's, that's it. That's what I want to do. So it wasn't like a lifelong dream. It just was during a period of time where I felt pretty lost and it kind of just fell in my lap. Um, And so I applied to the program. I didn't apply to any other programs and I got in and it's that has been my passion ever since. I cannot imagine myself doing anything different. 
And it is what I was always supposed to do. I just didn't even realize it. Um, and helping people to find better ways to relate with other people, it seriously lights me up every single day. Wow, that's amazing. And how cool that you literally got a sign. And literally, I got a sign. That is so cool. Like, how often does that happen? Never. And how often do we actually listen to right? the sign? Notice the sign. I mean, I, I remember just thinking, this is so weird. I just graduated from school with a degree in education and I had no plan for this. And I'm just leaving, you know, my car right now and I'm just going to go up and apply. And this is what I'm going to do. And I, from that moment forward was, that was my only plan. I didn't apply to any jobs. I didn't do anything. That was it. You know, I was having this conversation with somebody recently, how those those moments, those kind of unexplainable moments where you just know you're supposed to do something and you don't really know why, the best things always come from that when you say yes to whatever that is without needing to know why you feel like you should be doing that thing. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think most good things in my life have been saying yes to things that I actually didn't plan at all. Yeah. I love that. So something that you've, you've spoken to a lot is the fact that transforming your relationships can transform your life. And, you know, you even named your practice a better life. Um, so can you dive into a little bit more like of how you've seen that play out in your own life and, and other people's lives that you've, you've worked with and counseled, how really focusing on transforming their relationships can impact other areas of their life as well? Absolutely. So as human beings, we are wired to connect with other people. We are pack animals, right? So we are not meant to be alone. We are not meant to feel rejected or abandoned or left out. Um, We really thrive when we are accepted by the group, like any other pack animal, right? And it makes a lot of sense in an evolutionary perspective. I mean, if we can't maintain our relationships historically, we would have been really unsafe, right? Because, you know, everybody kind of has historically had a role to play. So if we didn't maintain our relationships and our village decided to get up and move and they didn't want us to go with them, well, we'd be in pretty big trouble because we wouldn't have shelter or food or any of the things that we would really need to survive. So baseline, having relationships is a piece of survival. It's something that people really can't live without. And we know this because when babies aren't touched enough, they really struggle to thrive. And there's also been a lot of studies that have shown, I'm not sure if you're aware of um, the Harvard study that followed people for many, many, many years and um, watched happiness. And that it's shown that adults are the happiest when they feel like they've been in fulfilling relationships, happier than any other measure, right? So money isn't the thing that makes people happy. Um, Education status isn't the thing that makes people happy. It's really having good connections with people that really feel meaningful to them. And so we know that relationships are super important. And yet, we only learn how to have them based off of watching the relationships around us as we're growing up. So it is a learned skill. And unfortunately, our parents are just human beings and they aren't perfect at relationships. And because of that, we grow up with varying degrees of relational skills. Some of us 
grow up and we have fairly good relational skills. Maybe we struggle with a couple things, but we mostly know how to maintain, create, um, fulfilling relationships and others we struggle because our you know our our childhood was challenging our parents um, they struggled with each other or they struggled with us and because of that we have learned patterns that aren't necessarily helpful so I often end up working with people when they are in their adult years and they are recognizing this um, this desire to be very connected to their friends or their partners or their, their family. And I, I like to focus on all relationships. So I don't just say, oh, we really need to have romantic partners, right? I, I work with people who even come in and say, my life is miserable because I don't know how to relate to my coworkers. So all of our relationships can be meaningful. They don't just need to be romantic. Um, and when I work with people, that initially they'll come in and they'll say, I'm really depressed or I'm really feeling anxious or, or whatever. Um, we often at the core of it find that there is some sort of relational issue and that when that relational issue is resolved, that a lot of those feelings of anxiety and depression start to be maybe not fully resolved, but they start to feel more manageable because again, our instinct as human beings is to have connections. And so when times are hard, it doesn't make them unhard, but it makes them a little bit easier to know that people have got your back. And learning relationship skills so that you can make sure that people have your back is incredibly, incredibly important for mental well-being. And what are some of those, those relationship skills that we we should be learning to support our relationships and, and what are some of the first steps to starting to learn them? Yeah, so there's certain relationship skills that we need in order to recognize poor relationship skills in other people so that we can protect ourselves, right? Like looking so, out for those red flags kind of thing. Looking out for red flags, exactly. So being able to recognize when someone you know, isn't being kind to you, to be able to recognize when other people are using communication patterns that are super harmful, recognizing your own boundaries and being able to not only set them with other people, but to set boundaries with yourself so that you're not doing self-betrayal, right? So in our relationships, a lot of times we betray ourselves in order to keep a relationship. That goes back to the fact that we have a primal need for relationships. So we panic and we say, this relationship is more important to me than myself. That's how powerful our desire for relationships is, which is pretty, um, I don't know, it's pretty amazing when you think about it, is there's yeah. almost this, I will give up myself, I will, I'll give up my core needs, which, which are essentially my bones, um, to maintain a relationship because I I internally feel like I need it in order to survive. Um, so learning how to recognize when you're betraying yourself, learning how to recognize when other people are betraying you is really, really important. And then the other skills are recognizing how you can be a really good human to the people you relate with. Um, I think we often focus a lot on how do I make sure that, you know, I'm not letting people be a jerk to me, but how do we also make sure that we're not being a jerk to other people? And really understanding the ways that we communicate has major um, impact on other human beings. And so working to make sure that we communicate with 
kindness that we remove violence from our language towards other people by making sure that we're not critical or, or overly defensive. Um, that we learn how to self-soothe so that when we are triggered, we are able to express that we're triggered, we're able to set boundaries, but that we don't then violate or traumatize somebody else. So those are really, you know, and of course in that, that's a lot of different skills, but really it's basically learning how do I have a good relationship with myself and how do I also treat others well so that I have a good relationship with them. And do you think a lot of it is, is kind of unlearning those patterns that you were referring to that we picked up from childhood? Like, it seems like a lot of re, uh, work in relationships is practicing new patterns that are different than the ones you may have been used to or like the ways that you received love when you were a kid. Absolutely. Yeah. So one thing that's hard is that sometimes people are really um, seeking new skills and they get frustrated because they're trying all of these new skills. They're speaking with nonviolent communication. They are um, setting boundaries and then they still find themselves in the same patterns. And that can be super frustrating, but sometimes it's not just about learning new things to do. It's exactly what you just said, which is being able to recognize some of the patterns that have been built in that are, you know, they're really strong muscles at that point and they have to be reworked um, and unlearning those things, really being able to look at them and unravel um, the way in which you have learned to respond to certain things in your relationships. Mm. And that can be, I mean, a lifelong practice, right? That's a hard, hard thing to do sometimes. It's, it's, it's always for everybody. It's a lifelong process. None of us go into adulthood knowing exactly how to have relationships. And every person we have a relationship with is going to teach us something new about ourselves. And so we're constantly learning how to just be different so that we feel better and other people feel better in relationships too. Mm. And you said something interesting about how, you know, oftentimes, and I've experienced this myself as well, that we can sort of be betray parts of ourselves for the sake of the relationship, because there's a part of us that feels like we need it to survive. And, you know, it might be scary, the thought of losing that person. So you'll, you'll do anything to keep them around, even if it betrays some, one of your core needs. But then there's this idea, going back to what you said in the beginning, that like we are these sort of communal, primal animals who, who need community and connection. So is it more a matter of realizing that you don't need attachment to any specific person or connection to survive and, and more the idea that you just need relationships in general and the ones that aren't serving you then are a little bit easier to let go of knowing that it's not like one person that's going to make or break your your life yeah i think it's absolutely that and sometimes we you know i think sometimes we tend to go to one end of the spectrum or the other where it's like i need only this person to survive or i need nobody to survive so I'm going to be totally alone and I'm going to write off relationships. I just don't care about them anymore. Or this relationship is going to work and that's the only one I can care about. And it's exactly what you said, which is this ability to see that there's some duality in that, that 
absolutely you need a relationship to survive. And the fact that you're feeling um, torn or devastated or confused about whether or not you should stay in relationship with someone that is harmful to you or, or unhealthy, um, it makes sense because you're wired to want to kind of desperately stay in that village. And your brain thinks that that relationship and that moment is your only village. The really beautiful thing that you can open yourself up to noticing is that there are many, many villages around you. And so, you know, you live in a world where you can access other people, that that person isn't your only means to survival. And the other beautiful thing you can recognize is that person is not your parent. And so when you were a child, you did have to explain away the bad behavior of your parent because children are incredibly smart and they know that that adult figure, so your parent or whoever your caregiver was, the adult figure truly does have to keep you alive, even if they're doing it very poorly. A four-year-old certainly cannot, you know, keep themselves alive. So even if they have a horrific parent, they have to convince themselves, I'm actually the horrific person here. I'm the problem. Because Mm. if I believed that if it was my, it's my parent, that's the problem. That means I'm not going to survive. That's scary. So what happens is then you grow up and you think, well, The people that I love, this bond feels familiar. It feels similar. And I kind of just have to accept it as it is because this person is my attachment. And maybe it's actually me who's the problem because I'm already used to thinking that. Um, And so you really have to begin to open up your understanding. You know, as a child, yes, my attachment figure was my attachment figure and I did have to accept it as an adult. I actually don't have to accept this relationship and I can actually survive physically without it. I cannot survive physically without other types of connections, but it's going to be my job to create friendships, coworker relationships, family relationships, a relationship with someone at your, your gym, um, whatever it is that allow me to be connected to other human beings. It doesn't have to be this person. Hmm. And it's, it's after you have that realization that then you get to start practicing, looking out for the, the red flags and, and the behaviors that um, are not healthy in a relationship for you. Sure, absolutely. And it, sometimes it's really one thing that I like to validate for people is that it's not easy to see red flags. You know, it's not as easy as just writing a list down yeah. and taking it with you on every date and saying, Oh, okay. You know, here's the red flags. And even though I'm really attracted to this person, I'm never going to go out with them again because our minds are very, very powerful and they carry with us templates of what a person is supposed to look like in relationship with us. Those templates are usually um, a compilation of who our parents or caregivers were. And when we go on dates, our brains want us to mate. (laughs) So we will not see the negative things about that person as easily as we would see the things we actually really liked about our caregivers. And we go into kind of a hormonal stage of, oh, well, this person's so funny. Yeah, maybe they're not super communicative and I don't really like that. But 
they're so funny and I'm going to really highlight that fact that they're so funny or they're so financially stable or they're really, really attractive. Um, and so we highlight those good things. And even if we have a paper written down of red flags, we tend to negate the negatives and make excuses because of that powerful draw to be connected to another person. Um, so this is why it's so important to pay almost to pay attention to the other person, but to pay more attention to yourself when you're getting in relationships or are in relationships with people and notice when you're making concessions, notice when something isn't feeling good to you, because those are really the red flags. The red flag isn't this person not calling you because you're going to excuse that. The red flag is that by week two of dating someone, you're already crying. Mm -hmm. The red flag is that by week two of dating someone, when you go out on the date, you are making up things about yourself because you want them to like you. Um, you're saying you like certain music that you don't like. You're agreeing to go to a restaurant with like food that you're allergic to. Those are the real red flags is, is the betrayal that you're doing to yourself in those moments. I love that you called that out so much because it puts us back in the driver's seat. And when we put the focus on ourselves, I feel like it's so much more empowering to feel like you can actually do something about your own behavior and your patterns and the way you're showing up. Whereas you, you can't really do that much about other people's behavior in, you know, in the way they're showing up in, in a relationship, there can be conversation about that for sure. But, um, yeah, I think oftentimes there's this tendency for people to be like, oh, well, this is what they did to me. But your point is so profound. Like, well, how did you, how did you show up? How did you betray your own core needs and, and what is true for you first to get into a relationship like that? Right. And the interesting thing is, is that if you don't do that, then you actually go back into the child process of blaming yourself for being the reason for the other person's behavior, right? Because mm -hmm. when you're really into someone, it's very rare that the thought, well, they're just a jerk, really actually connects with the feelings. You might be able to say that when you're sitting around with your friends, but then you still go out on a date with them again. And that's because the mind, again, starts to tell you, well, I really like this person, so it actually must be me that's the problem. And that's why you start to betray yourself. They didn't call me because I'm not good enough. They aren't thinking of what food I like because the stuff I like must not be interesting enough. So I need to be more interesting. And we begin to blame ourselves for the poor connection, the poor treatment, the poor behavior, instead of actually saying, hey, look, I'm feeling really bad here. And it really probably has very little to do with me, um, what this other person is doing. But what I do know is I feel bad. And like you said, then what can you do with that? You know, how do you take care of yourself? How do you help yourself feel better? And the answer to that is probably, well, I'm not going to go on a date with someone again who makes fun of me on the date or who I have to change myself for because I'm going to really take care of myself instead of going on that date again, hoping that I'm going to do something differently that then encourages them to be good to me, right? So we want to get out of the cycle 
of I'm the problem. I'm the reason that they aren't calling. I'm the reason they're not nice to me. Um, maybe if I'm just prettier next time or funnier next time or more direct next time, they'll be better. And instead say, hey, I kind of feel like crap when I go on these dates. I don't go near things that make me feel like crap. So I'm going to go towards something that makes me feel good. Hmm. So kind of what's really at the root of that is like a worthiness conversation and, and self-care and self-love. Yes, absolutely. And who knows which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Sometimes, <laughs> right. sometimes you have to say, I'm just going to act the way I would act if I felt worthy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then hopefully over time that creates just really deep feelings of worthiness that you deserve. And then mm-hmm. other times it does just come out of a space of, whoa, I feel really worthy right now of respect, love, responsiveness, and I'm not getting those things. So see ya. Yeah, man, that's so important. So let's say then you're, you're in a healthy relationship um, and now you want to work on like, okay, how can I enhance this relationship? Something that I saw you write about on your Instagram um, at one point that really uh, resonated with me was the idea of this hierarchy of relationship needs. Um, Is that something you can dive into a little bit? Absolutely. So have you ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of a playoff of that, right? Where there are these different levels of relationship that we strive for. And we really need the basic ones to be able to get to the next level. And a lot of times we might think we have the next level, but things kind of inherently feel a little shaky or something. And it's likely that there's some basic level there that's missing. So for me, the hierarchy of relationship needs is number one, a need for safety. And and you really can't develop things like commitment or intimacy or creating meaning together if you don't truly feel safe. You might think you have like a faux level of intimacy, but when you think about intimacy, it really takes a basic level of trusting the other person. So being physically and emotionally safe, which means that you trust the person to be gentle with your body and your mind and your feelings. And that if they're not, that really it's going to be difficult to move to the next level. Mm. And the next level is commitment and commitment is really whatever you and your partner decide that it is. There is no just one definition, but it's the understanding together that you are working with the same thing. So that's a commitment, right? It's, it, it is, we both are on the same page here and I'm committed to it. And I, if I change my mind, I will let you know that this is what we are right now. That commitment is so powerful because it gives us time. And when we have time together, when we know this person is still going to be who they say they are to me tomorrow, the next day, a week from now, this person is committed to doing X, Y, and Z with me for the next year, then we have time to open ourselves up, to continue to grow that trust that we started to build in that safety phase. And we can really start to create true intimacy with each other. And intimacy is emotional, physical, intellectual, experiential. And it's a vulnerable space to be in with someone. 
So to truly do it on a deep level, you have to know that you're safe and you have to know that that person is committed to some sort of well-being with you. And when you have those things in your relationship, you get to do these really beautiful things, which is creating legacy together. John Gottman has it at the top of his relationship house and he calls it um, meeting goals or creating meaning, creating shared meaning. And that when couples can do all of these other things together, they can be safe and manage conflict. They can be committed to each other. They can share their feelings. They can validate and be responsive that they're really able to help each other meet lifelong goals. So those might be professional goals, individual personal goals, whatever, but that they also are then able to create goals together or create what I like to call a legacy. So when I work with couples who are doing all of this really well, they can very easily tell me the point of their relationship. And they often have very, um, very beautiful kind of goals. Like when we die, we just want to know that together we made an impact on, on this specific area, right? So one couple might say, if I said, so, you know, what is, what is the meaning of your relationship? They might say, oh, the mean, we both are really passionate together about protecting animals. And when we die, we just really hope that people look back and think we are the couple that we just put our all into that. And that's a legacy we want to leave behind. It might also be a legacy like we really want to work together super well so that we can have children that are happy and functioning and feel good about themselves. And when we die, we want to look back and know that we created um, a generation of little kids in our family that are able to thrive. And so if you're not safe with each other, if you're not committed to each other, if you're not sharing deep thoughts, it's really challenging to create a legacy or to even know what your legacy is. When you have one though, it's really, really beautiful because it anchors you in and it makes your relationship much easier to sustain over the long term. Wow, what a beautiful thing. Like I feel like when we talk about relationships in general, we talk about these these things that are important like communication and trust and setting boundaries. But this idea that the relationship can actually contribute to something bigger than both of you and have a lasting legacy, that is that is such a beautiful way to, to approach it and, and give even more depth to a relationship, I'd imagine. Absolutely. And I think it gives purpose to the things you just mentioned. It's like, okay, we can talk about the boundaries and the communication and all of that, but what is the point? What is the goal of getting better at those things? And it isn't just to like continue on and, um, you know, make it bearable, being able to set healthy boundaries, stop betraying yourself, be responsive to your partner, manage conflict, allows you and your partner to create something that's meaningful. And meaning is what makes life feel good when we feel like things are meaningful. And so if it makes individuals feel good to have meaning, imagine what it does to a couple when they have a meaning together. Yeah. It's pretty powerful. Oh my gosh, that's so powerful. It also makes their, their, you know, and then it kind of reverse engineers itself because when you have that meaning together, you just become 
you become more of a powerhouse. And when there is conflict, it's easier to step back and say like, okay, wait, <laughs> why are we yelling at each other like this? We are on the same page. We both want to get the same things done. Let's step back and try to deal with this in a different way. So once you can start to create that meaning together, anytime you might fall back a little bit, it's just so much easier to just anchor back in and say, okay, babe, like, let's look at the big picture. We really are trying to create the same thing here. What's happening? Um, and so, so then it makes it easier for you both to continue to be committed together. Oh, I love that. It's like when you're, when you're taking care of your body and, and your health and you have a deeper reason or purpose for doing so, maybe it's to like, you know, be around for your grandkids or be able to run around and take, take care of your kids or to have energy to drive towards building your business and your passion, whatever that is, it'll make it easier on those days where you're like, oh, I just don't want to, I don't feel like it. So it sounds like it's the same for relationships. When you have this sort of bigger driving vision for what the point is, then it makes those hard times a little bit easier. Absolutely. And it just, it can serve as a good reminder of your love together. So when it's really, really hard, like you said, relationships are messy. Um, there are days where you're not going to like each other very much. You might love each other, but you're not going <laughs> to like the other person. And if anyone, you know, going through a quarantine with their partner is probably exactly. like, oh my God, yes, there are many moments where I'm thinking, why is my partner like crunching their food so loud? Or, <laughs> oh, what are they looking at on their stupid phone? Or they're so annoying. They walk so heavy. You know, my husband gets so annoyed because he says I walk so loud. <laughs> It's probably driving him like up a wall right now, but that in those moments of like deep hatred that you feel for a second, you can be like, okay, wait, we together are raising this beautiful child. I don't really hate this person or together look at this home that we've built or a business that we've made together or look how kind we are and how much we've influenced the world by our charitable work together. Like these moments really help you ground back into reality um, in those, you know, those little yucky moments where you just can't stand them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's such a great segue. Speaking of, of challenging times, there are probably a lot of people in very close quarters right now experiencing challenges, whether it's with their partner or with their family, their parents, their siblings, their roommates, whoever they're quarantined with it's this whole new set of challenges that a lot of people are, are being presented with right now. And I've even seen, I'm sure you have as well, a lot of jokes out there about the divorce rate, like skyrocketing after quarantine ends. Um, what advice do you have for people who have newly found themselves navigating a relationship in close quarters? And, and what are you learning so far from this time in quarantine? I'm learning a lot. <laughs> The first piece of advice is just to not, not think that there's any perfect way to do it because we're all learning. This is unprecedented in this time period. Um, so we're all figuring out, you know, what does this look like when we are with each other all the time and, and under an immense amount of stress? And also when everybody is experiencing things to different degrees. Um, 
and in different ways. I mean, it's very hard, I think, for all of us to fully relate with any other person's situation. I can't fully relate with your situation or my neighbor's or anybody's. Um, so just know that whatever you're trying to do and whatever feels like it's working for you in your home, you know, maintain that, that belief that that is working because you know better than anybody else right now. There is no professional out there that knows how things should look during a quarantine. Um, with that being said, I can tell you what, what is important and what is helpful in relationships in general and how I believe that this stuff is going to show up when you're living with another person with very few breaks. So one thing that we know is super, super important in relationships is that when there is stress with either yourself or the other person, that within the relationship, you're able to manage the stress well. We know from research, John Gottman has done a ton of research on this with thousands and thousands of couples, that couples that don't manage stress well, which means couples that are dismissive of their partner's stress, partners that ignore the stress, or partners that allow it to escalate into nasty conflict, don't fare well, and they often, their relationships end. But couples that have the exact same stress, so it doesn't have to be a different type of stress or a different level, um, that have that stress but are able to manage it in a healthy way in the relationship do much, much better. And managing stress in a healthy way means, number one, being able to recognize that your partner's stress is valid even if you don't believe that it's the same stress you're experiencing. So that means doing the opposite of dismissiveness, being responsive. And the other piece of it is being willing to talk about your stress with your partner, but also letting your partner know that you have thoughts about what you're going to do with it. Because it's really important to give the person an opportunity to talk about their stress, be responsive to it. And just as important, it's you need to let your partner know that this isn't going to be forever, right? That you're coming up with something that you're either going to do with it or that you're willing to ask for help or that you're interested in their suggestions. Um, so it, it's really a process in which you both have to be willing to give each other something. Now we're in a quarantine, so you're both going to be stressed at the same time. Usually, one person is experiencing stress on most days, and the other person might be not. They might be in a better position. But when you're both experiencing stress, you are going to be stretched to really work to be responsive to the other person's stress, even when you're feeling your own. And you have to recognize that you also then, if your partner's being responsive to you, you need to be responsive to them. Really validate them and be curious with them and allow them to deflate their balloon of stress so that they feel like you're a calm and safe space. The other thing that's gonna be really important through this quarantine is that you're finding ways to manage your own stress. And part of that is with self-compassion. So recognizing that your stress is valid, that your anxiety is valid, that the way your body is reacting is completely normal. When we are afraid, our heart races, we tense up, all of those things. Um, but also finding ways to self-soothe 
either by journaling or by working on your breath work or stretching or doing whatever you need to do to be able to soothe yourself. So there's going to be co-regulation and also self-regulation. That's super important. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So it's like you have to fill your own cup up first, but this is also a time where like we should all, everybody should be really sensitive to the needs of, of people around us as well, knowing that we're not the only one going through a challenging time and really we're all in this together. Absolutely. You know, the other night I was super stressed and I was actually tearful. Um, and my husband is also super stressed and it's like whose stress comes first, right? Mm. But he did this beautiful thing where he just like quietly walked into my office and looked at me and he just hugged me. And he said, I know you're so stressed right now and I'm in this with you. And what do you want to talk about? And that, just that, he didn't fix anything. He didn't cure the virus. He didn't change what's happening with work and life but he was there for me. And this goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of the call, which is just knowing someone's there for you. You know, we need to know that we have a village. It reduced my stress so much. And he could have walked in and said, get over it. We're all stressed. What are you freaking out about? Why are you crying? Am I crying right now? You don't see me crying, mm. but he didn't. He was willing to be responsive to me in that moment and to recognize that his only job was to reduce my stress by being responsive to me. And if you can do that for your partner, the two of you are really going to fare well in your work together during this period of time. So my job also is to make sure when I see that he's stressed, that I can extend the same grace even if inside I'm also stressed. Um, and being able to do that back and forth is going to be super, super, super powerful for what it doesn't even have to be a romantic relationship for any room relationship that you're in right now. So responsiveness, super important. And then there's two other R's that I think are important. Respect. So don't treat people in your home with any less respect than you would treat somebody outside of your home. You know, don't, don't make, don't leave things on the floor all over the place. Don't leave the dishes all over the place. Um, don't say rude things. If you do, apologize. Try to speak with respect. Try to respect people's space, respect their feelings, um, and that will help as well. Um, and then the last thing that you really want to make sure that you're paying attention to, so there's responsiveness, respect, and then you really want to make sure that you are also Oh my gosh, I can't think of the third R. <laughs> my brain just went out for a second. Oh, rituals. So oh, yeah. people, really it's important for them to know what they can rely on. And in the world right now, nothing is reliable. It is changing right. every single day. The way the inside of your home looks like, the way the outside of your home looks like, what's happening with government, everything changing constantly. And before this all happened, you had rituals in your life, whether you made them consciously or they were just kind of organically created. And so it's really important that in this state of flux, you're sitting down with whoever you're living with and you're really thinking about reliable ways of engaging with the person you're with and also reliable ways that you are able to take space for yourself. 
And if you're living alone or apart from people, then thinking of other reliable ways that you can connect. So it might sound like, you know, since we're not rushing out the door anymore to go to work, I would really love if we sat down and ate breakfast together. That would mean a lot to me. Or can we promise each other that we will both be done with work by 6 p.m. so that I can rely on connecting with you in the evening? Um, or can we promise that we'll send an end of the day text every day or do an end of the day FaceTime every day? But really thinking about ritualized ways that your partner or your friend or your family member can rely on connection from you, that's going to be incredibly, incredibly important for relationships right now. Those are such great actionable steps too that people can take. So, you know, creating those rituals and it doesn't have to be anything big, being respectful. And then I love what you shared about responsiveness too. And knowing that like, you don't have to fix anything, like just your presence can be enough to, to soothe the other person and add, add more love into the relationship. Absolutely. And it's a great reminder, like you can't fix what's happening right now. <laughs> Right. So you don't have to feel responsible for that. There's nothing that anybody did that you can fix. There's no easy solution. But what you can do is you can remind this person that you are their village and that they're not being abandoned and that you are, you are there with them. And that in itself is super powerful. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. You are their village. You are their village because we all need one and we panic if we don't have one. So that is what you can do to help people with what's going on right now. And that is what you need in order to feel better with what's going on now. Mm, So much good stuff. Um, So one of the last things I love to to ask people who come on the show, this being a, a wellness podcast um, is besides your area of expertise. So for you, besides focusing on the health of your relationships, what is one daily wellness practice or habit that you swear by and can't live without? I love that question. So one daily wellness thing that I swear by is that I don't watch TV during the day. (laughs) Mm, That's a good one right now. (laughs) Yes, it's especially good right now. So I, until I married my husband, didn't even have a TV um, in my home with me. So I watched no TV um, for many years in my own house. And I found that when I instituted that, it was honestly just because I moved and I got too lazy to (laughs) go buy a TV. But it really just gave me so much peace. And it created a space during the day where I was doing what felt good to me instead of getting sucked into TV. Um, and then it also makes it a really nice treat at the end of the day. So it's not just, uh, I guess I'll flip through the channels again. It really is that it is the only time I'm watching TV is for like an hour at night. And I pick something that I really like and that is entertaining and that serves the purpose of TV for me. So that is something I swear by. And I I really, truly, even during this time, I have really limited my access to the television. That is a really good one. And I'm sure it improves the quality of your your relationship too. Oh, 100%. I mean, even with my son, you know, it, it makes it... I've actually found that we've been allowing him to have more TV because we're human beings and we can (laughs) manage him all day long. We've allowed him to do more TV during the day, but I've actually found that he's become more fussy because of that. Um, Mm. 
And so it's kind of a catch 22 because it's a good distraction for that hour. But when there's not a lot of TV for him in our own house, obviously this is just us. Everybody does it in their own way. Um, he's just kind of happier during the day and able to focus on boring things for longer periods of time. Mm. And then he really enjoys TV when we give it to him. But now it's kind of just like, you know, all of that yeah. goes out the window. <laughs> yeah. Quarantine <laughs> rules, anything goes. Quarantine <laughs> rules and just dealing with it moment to moment. <laughs> exactly. That's all we can do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So Liz, for people who want to find out more about the work that you do and your practice, where can they find you? So my name is Liz Earnshaw. You can find me and my practice at www.abetterlifetherapy.com. I have wonderful therapists that work with me and they specialize in all things relationships. So whether you're single or in a relationship, you can find support there. If you're in Pennsylvania or California, we can serve you. And if you're interested in just learning more about how to love yourself or other people better, I also have a membership program. You can find it through my Instagram at Liz Listens um, in the link in the bio. There's a wait list there. So when that membership program opens, you will be notified. It's called Love Lessons 365. And it's an amazing community. We have lots of really cool workshops hosted by like relationship VIPs. We have a book club. You get a workbook every month. It's just a great way to explore yourself and your connections with others. Amazing. I will be sure to link all of that in the show notes below. So for everybody who's listening, definitely go check that out. It sounds like such a cool course. Um, and for people who are in California and Pennsylvania, is that um, just in, in-person sessions or do you guys do online uh, sessions and therapy as well? We do both. So we've always done in-person and online, um, offered both of those. We, oh, sorry. We also service New Jersey. So New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and California. Okay. Um, we've always done both in-person and online. Right now, we are only doing online sessions, not in person sure, until all of the regulations are lifted, but we like to make it accessible for what you feel like is best for you. Amazing. Thank you so much for, for the work that you do and for coming on today and, and sharing so much valuable information with everybody. Um, I think, you know, we could keep talking about this stuff for hours, but I, I just really appreciate it. Thank you. I loved chatting with you and I so appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. And for everybody who is tuning in today, if you know somebody who would benefit from hearing this conversation, be sure to share this episode with them. Go and follow Liz as well on Instagram. She posts some really amazing and insightful content. And um, as always, until next time, have a happy and healthy day. 